The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, I'm going to stop short of saying it was a turnaround Tuesday in the markets. I'll just say it was a good day to the upside across many grain and livestock contracts after Tuesday's session wrapped up and the dust settled. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. And yeah, not a bad day. Uh, recovering from some of the early week losses on Monday with the wheats uh, leading the way to the upside. Double-digit gains seen in Chicago and Kansas City. Wheat, a little bit of strength in corn and soybeans. Uh, not much. It really feels like those markets are marking time until Friday's big USDA reports. And we saw a mixed bag in cattle and hogs. Another good day higher led by front month uh, February and April hogs. So still watching maybe a little bit of spread trading uh, possibly here in this hog market. But overall, not a bad day. We're going to talk about the markets coming up here later in the show. We're going to get analysis and perspective from Tyler Shaw with agmarket.net. Looking forward to a conversation with Tyler. He's always got great perspective, especially on the livestock side. Uh, we'll get some thoughts from Tyler uh, in cattle and hogs and uh, get his thoughts in the grains as well here as we are heading towards those key USDA reports coming up at the end of the week. Also, we're going to take a look at uh, a few different news items uh, that we're watching here across agriculture in the early part of 2024. We're going to do that coming up in segment two here today. Some thoughts on the weather with Kirk Hins from BAMWX. We'll also uh, get some thoughts on how the lack of snow cover could impact the upper Midwest alfalfa crops with Jerry Clark from the University of Wisconsin Extension. Some commodity market thoughts from Joe Vaklovic with Standard Grain as well. And more coming up in uh, news headlines in segment two today. We'll do that coming up here in a little bit. Then we'll talk to Tyler Shaw from agmarket.net after the bottom of the hour. First up, though, let's get some thoughts in the market trade from Tuesday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. I talked to Arlen around midday on Tuesday, and we start with the grains. His thoughts on some of the upward momentum led by wheat on the day Tuesday. Well, we're seeing a positive money flow in back into the commodities today after it was largely negative yesterday. Kind of a reaction overall as we took the uh, the commodities sharply lower yesterday, especially the grain and oil seeds, did some chart damage, but got down to some levels of support also on the charts and also some areas where we saw some uh, end users say maybe this is the time to come in and buy. So nothing really changed fundamentally for the soybeans, still getting good rains where it had been previously dry in Brazil. We got some areas that were previously wet drying out, but the rains are expected to come back to those areas. And overall, we've kind of removed the adverse weather story from Brazil for now and the corn you know, we got a modest bounce there, not really a story. A more significant double-digit gains in wheat, um, but that kind of offsets the big double-digit gain losses that we had the previous day. And, and it's mostly bargain hunting, and, and we've seen some export price, export bids being happening with Egypt buying from uh, 
uh, Russia and uh, the Black Sea and getting a higher prices than what have been anticipated, raising the prospect that maybe we have put a bottom into the world market. So therefore, some fun short covering, some bottom picking happening in the wheat market and the algos amplifying that move. I know in the energy sector, too, we've been watching crude oil, a decent little rebound there today, and maybe that's giving us a little added support as well, kind of a turnaround in crude today. Yeah, giving a little bit of support in soil as well as we do that. Uh, And yesterday, the concern was about Saudi Arabia slashing prices at 27-month lows that it charges its Asian customers. Now, today, the focus is back on Middle East risks, as well as Libya having limited output because of internal problems there and putting some risk premium back into the market. And crude oil is with most of these grain and oil seeds. For the most part, we're on an inside trading day, spending most of today inside yesterday's trading range. It's just that we fell so far yesterday that we now have a long ways to go before we get back up to where we were prior to yesterday. And I know over in the proteins, another uh, day to the upside in the hog market. That's uh, three or four days in a row now as uh, as I talk. And then cattle's kind of a mixed bag, but mostly higher. Any notes for you in the proteins today? Weather's well, the big story in the protein complex. that kind of forgot about it for a little while yesterday and then come back to trade it with this weather coming in. A lot of snow, a lot of cold air behind it. It's going to be around for a little while. That's going to hurt performance. Our problem in the protein sector has been a surplus of meat, and this is going to help alleviate it at the expense of the producer taking gain off of animals, both hogs and cattle. The cold air is going to be enough to even infiltrate these uh, finishing facilities for hogs as well and hurt performance, uh, reduce transportation of animals as well, and even curtail some of the slaughter plant schedules, reducing the amount of meat output here in the days ahead. Once again, appreciate it. Good thoughts there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joined us for midday commentary on the day Tuesday. Always good to have a conversation with Arlen Suderman. Looking at the weather map, too, as we watch this week's big winter storm, a big weather maker here across much of the country, uh, really impacting Uh, On Monday, throughout much of the plains and the Midwest, and then just kind of swirling and spinning and moving off to the east through Tuesday into Wednesday here with uh, heavy snow across the Midwest here and into the Great Lakes region in the northeast and then heavy rain on the south side of this system, strong winds as well, really creating uh, just a very uh, interesting weather dynamic here early this week and we're going to watch as that system moves out we got another system that has been working through the pacific northwest uh, bringing widespread heavy snow it's weakening a little bit as it crosses the rockies into the northern plains and prairies here uh, but still that's a, another system we're keeping an eye on and we're expecting a few more rounds of systems here as we go through the rest of the week and into next week plus a shot of cold air that polar vortex is uh, going to create another uh, big storm here at the end of this week and, and bring a lot of cold temperatures here as we uh, get into next week across much of the country especially uh, here across the northern states so Something to keep an eye on as well here uh, with cold, cold weather in the forecast, no doubt. 
hopefully, though, this is going to help out with some of the moisture uh, deficits that we have across the country. Uh, we got a lot of dry areas here in the Midwest, and uh, we were talking about this with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions on yesterday's show. Uh, just how some of that ground, it hasn't been cold, so some of that ground maybe not completely frozen. It uh, could be a decent opportunity to get some of this uh, snowfall and rain into the ground here and uh, alleviate some of the moisture deficits. I look at some pretty bad areas in eastern, northeastern Iowa, central Iowa, into southeastern Nebraska. And that's some of the big areas that still remain with drought issues, parts of Missouri, Kansas as well. And then you look in the Mid-South, uh, all the way from Tennessee down through Alabama into Louisiana and the Delta. That's another area, too. So uh, hopefully this system is just part of the puzzle, but can help to alleviate some of the drought issues that we have across the country, no doubt. All right, coming up next, we're going to get a few thoughts on weather as we head to spring as we hear comments from Kirk Hins from BAM WX and take a look at other news headlines on the way next. Back with more here on Market Talk right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. Again, we're going to have a conversation with Tyler Shaw from agmarket.net coming up here in just a little bit. As we saw, mostly a positive day in the markets on Tuesday. Let's take a look at some news headlines. Well, the Midwest and Plains states are working through a major winter storm here this week, and one meteorologist expects more rain and snow in the future. Kirk Hins, president of business development at BAM WX LLC, says for some, there's significant moisture ahead. I think really it's going to come down to a state divided, even even from Kansas to Nebraska. I think you draw a line in the half part of the state further east. There's significant moisture ahead, and that is going to be a consequence of the transition from La Nina to El Nino, and more so this increased moisture, which is basically a consequence of the stronger jet stream from El Nino is going to continue as we're going into February, January, February, March. Basically, every stronger El Nino on record brings moisture in from Nebraska to Kansas, northern Oklahoma, the western part of the Ag Belt that has been so dry the last three to five years because of the significant change from three straight La Ninas, the last one being the strongest one, now a strong El Nino. It's that shock, finally, that I believe is going to bring in the moisture uh, especially earlier and more timely than what we've seen. So I, I, I do think a, a real change is coming. For the lucky ones, that means drought relief is on the way. I would typically say no, but because of the strength of this El Nino and the strength of this jet stream, what does that mean? That means low pressure systems. That means widespread, heavier rain versus that scatter type of rain that, you know, we get a little bit of improvement and then it, it kind of settles down. This These are real moisture loaded systems and, and consecutive ones. So I do think, I, again, I think further off to the east is, is going to be that, that greater potential. And Hens is even more confident for moisture this spring. 
I think that's an even better time frame, to be honest with you. Statistically, maybe three out of every four El Ninos March into April are normal to above normal moisture. Some of them are very, very heavy. And in like almost like last season, uh, there was some some earlier on season rains. I think we can see another year of, of something similar. I think it's a, a very, very positive look on a reduction of, a continued reduction of the drought. So I, again, I think that is a, uh, an overall consequence of the transition from La Nina to El Nino. We're already seeing it. Uh, again, it's it's a slow process. This is the number one thing we had to happen, though, is the transition to a stronger El Nino to get a consistent reduction in that drought that's not temporary. That's Kirk Hens with BAM WX. Well, the commodity markets are paying attention to a couple of key factors influencing price movement. Joe Vaklovic, founder and president of Standard Grain, says there are two things traders are watching. I think it's Brazil weather and maybe lack of demand, I guess, would be the two things. Soybean export inspections were like the lowest seasonally in 12 years last week. It's not a good sign. He says the demand drop-off begins with China. I think there's some issues with China. China's the biggest soybean buyer, and they're... Crush margins are negative, so the, the crushers who crush beans in China aren't making money. Brazil, even though they have crop problems, supposedly, they're still cheaper than we are on the export market. Beans landed in China anyways, which is the one that really matters. So you're seeing weak demand. You could probably say the same thing for corn to maybe a little bit lesser extent. The export book there has actually improved a little bit. It just hasn't been enough to rally the market by any stretch. U.S. bean prices have to come down to be more competitive, but the story is different in corn. Well, they have come down, and I don't know how far down they need to come to be competitive. Corn is competitive. We are competitive on the export market. We just haven't seen an uptick in business. I wouldn't be shocked if at some point, especially if you ran into a Brazilian weather problem with this second crop, I wouldn't be shocked if China or somebody else stepped up their U.S. corn purchases. That's something that I'm not going to say is going to happen, but it's something that could rally prices at some point in time. We saw China buy U.S. corn last year during the winter and spring, and then they eventually canceled a bunch of it. But even those initial purchases, if something like that were to repeat, I think would be positive. Brazil's weather and crop conditions have had a big influence on the markets since late last year. They were really dry in October, November, and then the rains kind of normalized to some extent in December, and they're normalizing more so in January. And that's a big part of the reason why the soybean market's backed off. You go back to like the early, mid part of November when it was really dry and the forecast didn't look good. Beans were at 14 bucks. There was a lot of uncertainty surrounding Brazilian production. And I think the general thought now is that, no, the crop's not going to be as good as we thought maybe it would be prior to the season, but it's not going to be a train wreck either. That's Joe Vaklovic from Standard Grain. Well, lack of snow cover has Wisconsin dairy producers concerned about the health of their alfalfa crop. Jerry Clark of the University of Wisconsin Extension says with no snow, a cold snap could wipe out the alfalfa crop. That's the biggest issue right now, I think, is the weather. You know, we say, oh, this weather is great and it's easy to drive around. Yeah, for getting around on the roads. But from an agricultural standpoint, especially Wisconsin and their alfalfa industry, this is starting to get a time to worry because we do have in the forecast below average temperatures, which means that soil temperature is really going to start to drop without that snow cover. All it takes is a couple inches and it'll protect that soil temperature. But once we get soil temperatures below around 15 degrees, that's when alfalfa is going to die. It can't handle that cold cold temperature. 
Clark says cover crops can tolerate the colder temperatures better, but not entirely. You'll see winter wheat be a little bit more tolerable, but regardless, they still can't withstand those really cold soil temperatures. So we could see some decrease in you know winter survival on some of those winter crops. The winter rye looks really good right now. It's still growing in some cases, so it's kind of a wild year to see that happening. But yes, I think if this happens where we continue no snow cover, we get these uh, bitter cold temperatures, and we got to watch that soil temperature. I mean, dandelions will die in some of these cases, so these crops can have an issue moving forward. A lack of snow cover also means lower soil temperatures in the spring, delaying planting. Frost levels will definitely go deeper when we don't have that snow cover. If we all recall, last year had snow cover early, mid-December, early December, we already had snow cover, and it stayed all winter. Farmers talked about putting fence posts in the ground all winter, those kind of things. That's not going to be the case this year if, if this continues where we have this no cover and then these below average temperatures that are predicted. So I think there is when we're going to see frost levels go deep. Of course, that could be what takes a while in the spring for that frost to come out. And Clark adds it's really a game of wait and see regarding what the season will bring. Of course, some parts of Wisconsin are being impacted by this week's winter weather and getting some snow cover, but it'll be interesting to see how much snow cover happens in the state and how much effect there is on the alfalfa crop. Well, also, while the farm bill is a top priority for agriculture this year, trade is another as the industry seeks more demand to improve commodity prices. Will Stafford, CHS Director of Federal Affairs, says they want to see the Biden administration build on recent trade successes. I'll start by saying there are some amazing agriculture trade advocates in the Biden administration. Um, we, uh, you know, talk with Alexis Taylor at USDA or Doug McCaleb, the trade ambassador at USTR. And I truly think they're an amazing voice for American farmers and are constantly abroad discussing American agriculture with other um, other countries. You know, I do think that the administration has done a good job of opening some doors with other countries like their current discussions um, in the Indo-Pacific economic framework to work on non-tariff barriers to trade. Um, but we would like to see some of those uh, tariff reductions be discussed as well, some classic free trade agreements and market access. Stafford points to the Biden administration's effort to ensure the U.S. could continue to export biotech corn to Mexico. It will be a win. We're very happy with what the administration has done to protect corn going into Mexico. They've been really great at um, standing firm with the WTO on behalf of America's farmers to make sure that Mexico is is honoring their commitments in the USMCA agreement to accept um, biotech corn. Um, I think that's been great on behalf of the industry. Um, I know that there have been some wins for um, for some specialty crops and, and for other products, um, especially in, in Asia and India that the administration has really advocated on. As far as markets. We look everywhere. We'll take any market for our products. But, you know, I know we're always focused on Southeast Asia, um, for example. The Middle East um, are all places that we look at to be able to expand and, and send more grain. And once again, that's Will Stafford, Director of Federal Affairs at CHS. Well, the Philippines extended reduced tariff rates on imported pork for the third consecutive year. The in-quota duty remains 15 percent, while the out-of-quota rate is 25 percent. Under the lower tariffs and higher access volume, U.S. pork exports to the Philippines increased to a record $205 million in 2021, a 79 percent hike. But after the increased quota amount expired on January 31st of 2022, exports fell that year to about $135 million. And for 2023, they will likely be around $120 million. The National Pork Producers Council says the Philippines is an important Asian market for America's pork industry. 
Now, with more than 109 million people and a cultural preference for pork, the island nation is a top 10 market for U.S. pork exports. In May of 2021, in response to a pork shortage caused by African swine fever, the Philippines first lowered the import duties and increased the minimum access value. And one other news note for the second straight week, Gas Buddy says the nation's average price of gasoline has declined, falling 3.8 cents from a week ago to 3.03 per gallon. Patrick DeHaan of Gas Buddy says, quote, sluggish gasoline demand has led to the national average easing again and brings back the potential for the national average to drift under $3 per gallon for the first time since 2021. With a record rise in gasoline inventories last week as demand was anemic during the holidays, Motorists have provided the catalyst for falling prices, end quote. He also says if demand remains weak, it's possible gasoline prices could fall further. In addition, refinery issues in California have also eased, which will soon cause prices to decline in California, Nevada, and Arizona, possibly providing momentum for a 299 national average. However, the better it gets now, the sharper the rise could be ahead of spring as prices could start rising by mid-February. That's a look at news headlines here today on Market Talk. All right, coming up next, we're going to dive into the commodity and livestock markets. Tyler Shaw with agmarket.net joins us on the way right after this. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we saw some decent action in the grain trade led by wheat on Tuesday. A mixed bag, uh, mostly green, though, in livestock. Energy's rebounding. I'll uh, say uh, sort of a turnaround Tuesday in these markets. We're going to talk about it and get some perspective today with Tyler Shaw from agmarket.net joining us here on Market Talk. And Tyler, it's good to catch up with you again. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Good to be here, Jesse. Well, uh, I'm not going to say it was a full-blown turnaround Tuesday in the grains, but uh, compared to what we saw Monday, uh, fairly decent day overall with, uh, like I mentioned, wheat kind of leading the way. I didn't see anything massive in the news to really move these markets. It just felt like uh, money kind of flowed back into commodities to some degree on the day. Yeah, you know, the, the there, there, was, there has been a, a few rumors of China sniffing around for some some soft red wheat for the last few days. I uh, haven't seen any type of sales or confirmation. Who knows? That could be rumors. Uh, the, you know, there is talk to, they get some awfully cold well, weather moving into the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be, you know, sub-zero and, and places where it's normally not sub-zero. And in some of those places is your winter wheat country. And so, you know, there's maybe some concern about some winter kill, uh, you know, coming into the weekend and early next week that, might have stoked a little bit of that that uh, move higher in the the winter wheat markets. Um, it, you know the the one bright spot. And I know sometimes this is hard to to for for people to really grasp on or or buy into, but we have kind of come down and tested 452 in that March contract. When we went to 451 and three quarters a day. We went to 452 yesterday. Uh, the December contract I think had a low of like 447. 
something like that, uh, you know, right before it went into delivery. So, I mean, it feels like maybe there's some buying coming in at that level uh, that's supporting this market. So buyers are finding value there and it might set us up if we can get any type of either some, maybe a bullish surprise on the WASD report, or if nothing else, neutral to not bearish, mm -hmm. um, you know, that could be a catalyst that this market has bottomed for the near term. And we find a little bit of activity that pushes prices higher over the next couple of months. I like how you frame that up and I'm glad you brought that up here because obviously these big reports in front of us on Friday, they're always market movers. They always have surprises. Uh, but to your point, if maybe we got some bottoming action happening here in corn and, and maybe even at soybeans too, I'm sure we can dissect this a little bit more, but I think this market, I would agree with you. It would be nice to see this heading into a, a very big report day that kind of always uh, traditionally lays the groundwork for much of the early part of the year every year, Tyler. Yeah, I mean, the, the January report is known to, to throw some curveballs, you know, for the, the for really all year ag market, we've been talking about the potential of a 2 billion bushel carryout uh, on on corn, uh, you know, at the end of this marketing year, come come August or the end of August uh, of 2024. Um, and really within the last few months, the rest of the markets kind of, you know, decided, hey, we're going to have a 2 billion plus carryout. I think on one of the last was, you know, it's 2.1, 2.2. But our estimates actually, uh, we're, we're looking for possibility of this thing coming right at two, possibly just sub 2 billion bushels, which don't get me wrong, still a lot of corn, still a lot of stocks, still a lot of carryover. Uh, but, you know, that could just be the bullish surprise. And our reasoning is is ethanol grind has been uh, robust, but turn a lot of corn into ethanol. You've had the cattle on feed reports that have surprised a lot of people with a number of cattle on feed the last uh, couple months. Uh, so it feels like maybe there's going to be some disappearance of corn that uh, is going to have to get verified or justified in these reports. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't just a slightly bullish surprise there. Like I said, the, this market's been betting on the bear side. You've got uh, uh, the managed money crowd short uh, a lot of grain, really uh, a lot of agricultural commodities now. Mm -hmm. They're not typically that short. And so, uh, you know, there, there's a setup there for some type of a catalyst to just give us a little pop. Now, bear in mind, we're, we're still bearish uh, grain prices moving throughout the year of 2024. Uh, but we could see a little bit uh, of, of a reprieve here of these lower prices for a little bit, maybe get us an opportunity to get some, some old crop priced and then probably more importantly, get working on getting some hedges on new crop. Yeah. Good thoughts. Uh, good thoughts. Uh, one thing that I just thought of as you were talking there, you brought up uh, ethanol grind and I, I had a question on X the other day about ethanol margins. Uh, your thoughts on uh, just, how ethanol margins are looking to anticipate much in the way of any changes there that could impact this corn market one way or another here in the weeks and months ahead, Tyler. So, you know, ethanol margins have gotten a lot tighter. They were uh, awfully good uh, throughout the summer, most of this fall uh, ethanol. And, um, you know, it, it didn't really surprise us that uh, they've, they've stayed, uh, they've been hammered down turning corn into ethanol. Um, you know, production has been high stocks though, you know, we've been using it and we're starting to finally build those stocks up. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not uncommon. You know, that's, that's normal. That's uh, kind of the cycle. We build up stocks in the wintertime. So there's plenty for, 
driving season when it hits in the summertime. Um, you know, I think that's the, the positive news there and we've needed it because the export corn exports have, you know, they, they haven't been bad, but we're not predicting massive corn exports and we've just got a lot of competition throughout the world. So I just, yeah, yeah, that, that, the, the, the margins are getting tighter, but I don't think they're going to slow down, right? Uh, um, there, there's been a few stories of a few plants slowing down, but there's going to be a natural slowdown here probably this week uh, as a lot of the, the corn belt deals with some massive storms coming through. So I'm guessing we'll see a little bit of a reprieve, but uh, I think the margins stay decent enough that they're going to keep, they're going to keep turning corn into ethanol and that's going to help support this market moving forward. Tyler, on the soybean side, we know uh, futures have come down quite a bit here in the last month and change. China's largely disappeared from the U.S. export market here as of late. I feel like that soybean export window is probably closing up. Uh, and then, too, a lot of uh, eyes on South America as uh, we've seen some of the private estimates lower the production number in Brazil and we're going to get some updates to that here this week. Your thoughts in soybeans, though, is it maybe the same story as corn or you seeing some bottoming action potentially here in soybeans right now, or is it a different story? No, kind of, kind of feeling the same thing. Like maybe there's a little bottoming action in soybeans. You know, two thoughts come to mind. One is in 2013, 14, um, after the WASDE report came out, the soybeans actually rallied, or the January WASDE report, soybeans actually rallied about a dollar sixty uh, off of that report uh, for about two or three months. So. Not saying that history's got to repeat itself, but uh, we were kind of in the same setup. Market felt a lot the same way. It felt really heavy coming into that January report. And we saw some follow through buying lasted into March and April. Corn actually saw like a 60 cent rally off of that January report. Um, in 15, 16, I think that was, or 16 was the, the a drought in Brazil. And, you know, it took till. March and April for the market to really fully digest the damage that had been done in Brazil then as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's the case. I mean, uh, you know, maybe that I, I would, you know, after you take a look at the the production cycle this last year in the U.S., uh, you can make the case that, you know, definitely genetics are better today than they were six, seven years ago. I'm sure that's no different in Brazil. Um, but, you know, don't, don't forget the fact it's a very large country and it's going to take some time to figure out what the damage done there was. Um, and at the end of the day, we still have, you know, historically tight balance sheet on soybeans domestically anyhow. Um, so I think there's a, there's, there's support there for now. Now, you know, same as with corn, if we hit, uh, you know, March and April and we get some, some opportunity to, to look at, you know, $13 new crop soybeans again, um, and you don't take advantage, then, you know, that's the fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of uh, thought process. Yeah, good thought there. You brought up, too, maybe locking in some hedges on new crop. Are you getting aggressive here, quarter beans, new crop, ahead of the January report to protect any downside risk, or are you waiting until after the report to see what we end up with here? Um, we... You know, ag market, uh, our official hedge recommendations has been to be about 70% hedged on new crop corn. Uh, we're about 30 to 50% hedged on new crop soybeans. That's not always just straight sales. It's a combination of a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of, we use a lot of the short dated option strategies out there. But, mm -hmm. you know, for the producers that have been following us, we're, we're fairly hedged up 
new crop. Uh, and actually one of the things we're looking at ahead of this report is how do we defend some of that? Maybe, you know, if we've got some, some sold grain, maybe we're buying some, some calls using short dated calls. Uh, we've, you know, looked at uh, how do we defend some of those puts so we're not, you know, sitting on premium that expires. Uh, and then in some cases, we, you know, we've we've taken gain on straight hedges and, and replaced them with some put options. If you're behind the eight ball and you haven't done nothing, um, you know, we're still sitting here at 492 and three quarters. Uh, you know, take a look at, at some, uh, you know, March short dated uh, option strategies that, that gets you to the end of February that kind of gets you through that uh, you know, crop insurance pricing period. And, you know, they're, they're not really that expensive. You can probably get something done for a dime or less, pretty close to the money. Uh, or, you know, take a look at going out to May and, and getting past the March 30th planting intentions report. But, um, you know, probably some of the best advice that I've read here recently, Brian Split wrote a, a blog for an outfit and he just said bear, mar bear markets punish indecision. And you've seen that happen. A lot of guys have, you know, they've thought about buying puts and, well, I'll just wait and see. And, you know, they wait and see six, seven days. Well, six, seven days uh, taking a nickel off this thing and all of a sudden we're 30 cents lower um, and, and you start to feel that pain. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying 10 cents isn't is nothing, but, uh, you know, you might not want to sit and think about that too long. Spend the, spend a little bit of money, get some floor protection on. Um, and, you know, if, if we're out that premium, that means the market went up and that's a good problem to have. Well, that's Tyler Shaw with agmarket.net. We'll continue our conversation with him coming up after the break here on Market Talk. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Tyler Shaw with agmarket.net joining us for a conversation here today on Market Talk. Tyler, let's go over to livestock. Uh, cattle's been kind of mixed here early this week. We've started our sessions to the upside and then kind of given some of that back as we've gone through uh, both sessions Monday and Tuesday. Your thoughts right now in cattle? Are we are we running into some overhead resistance here? Is it just a case of some of these funds not wanting to step back into this cattle market? Uh, what's your take on what we're seeing in cattle right now? Um, yes and yes. So there, there's you know pretty much take your pick on any of the charts, and there's some technical resistance up above. We've also got some really good moving averages right below that have been holding support. So this market, you know, several days in the feeder calf market, especially we've seen $4 ranges high to low, but the close has been within 50 cents of the, the day prior, right? So we've seen some big daily ranges, but closes that really does, don't seem to, to uh, feels like the market hasn't moved at all. Um, I have a you know a couple thoughts there. You, you mentioned you know funds not wanting to buy into it. I you're you're right. You know they they went and dumped their positions, and in some cases they've you know in the feeder calf market they've got a little bit short uh, feeders. They've really lightened up on their length in the fat cattle market, and I just it's one of those things where it's going to take a, a catalyst that gets them to draw that money back into those markets. Uh, 
you know, I, and that's going to have to, I, my opinion is it's going to have to come on the heels of cattle on feed reports where all of a sudden the placements aren't there, the cattle aren't there and packers are really scrambling to, to, to get their kill. And until we run into a, a news story like that or a market where that's occurring, I just, I don't see the funds rushing to get back into that cattle after that uh, collapse that we saw from September to December. Uh, that being said, you know, we're, the, the support has held as long as it's holding, we, we feel pretty decent about it. One of the interesting things about, you know, like these, these big daily ranges and up $3 and then, you know, 20, 30 minutes later down a buck option volatility has ballooned again. So puts mm-hmm. have gotten quite a bit more expensive. Uh, same with LRP. If you, if you use LRP to hedge uh, livestock, so, um, you know, it, it be astute. To pick some targets we hit those targets uh put the protection on and and uh you know I'd, if we learn nothing from the last three months sitting and waiting is is not always the best move in these cattle markets do you think this week's winter weather and the snow and some of the blizzard conditions and then this upcoming uh polar vortex shot could have an impact in feedlot country and maybe translate into an impact of these cattle markets possibly well, it, it should. And that's why I've been surprised where we see these moves, you know, we come in early and we're up a couple bucks and it feels kind of like maybe that news is filtering into the market and then it just kind of fades throughout the day. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll finally get some buying. It could be the cattle market's waiting to see what this WASI report says too. And, and, uh, and then after we get all these reports out of the way on, on Friday, then the uh, market starts to take some direction, but you know, that's, that is, as long as we've just kind of paused in here, um, both fats and feeders that, you know, I, I like having some protection on just because it makes me nervous. Uh, but I could also, you know, I, I, I don't know that I'd want to be straight short the board here because this thing feels like it's going to pop. I just don't know what direction. Hog market. Uh, what is it? Three, four days in a row. We've seen some green yeah. in futures, Spent a little bit of spreading. It looked like between the front months and the back months, but and Tyler, it's a uh, kind of a positive uh, couple of sessions here for this hog market. Yeah, you know, hogs trade very technically, um, and they've been in a very well-defined downward trending channel really since uh, mid-spring uh, last year, like March and April. Uh, and like clockwork, went right down to the lower level of that channel late last week and found some support and the buyers have just been coming in. I think you're right. There's some bull spreading going on. They're buying the feb, selling some of the back months, um, you know, resistance, you know, we're, we're trading $72 hogs, just shy $72 hogs in February resistance, probably going to come in right above here, 72, 73. And then the upper level of that channel is going to come in at about, uh, 77, 78. So, um, in here, if you're a producer here, in here's a good spot to lay into some, some protection, some hedges, some options, something to that effect. And then if you're speculating kind of the same deal, it's probably time to maybe look at how do we take advantage if this thing does fall back to the lower level of that channel. Tyler, good stuff. Uh, before we let you go today, anything final you'd want to tell folks as they're kind of watching the markets this week, gearing up for all this uh, this big data dump here at the end of the week, what would you tell folks to remember? Um, you know, the big one, there's probably going to be some volatility. Uh, you know, one of the things, I, I, I don't want to sound negative here, but one of the, my pet peeves or uh, things that always kind of, I don't want to say bothers me, but I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it, is when uh, 
customers call and say, you know, what's this WASDE report going to say? And I was typically say, you know, if I knew I'd work for the USDA and if I did that, what I'm doing now would be illegal. Um, we don't know what it's going to say. Uh, you know, define where your risk lies. If you're a producer, that's probably to the downside and figure out a way to, to manage it that fits your parameters. And then, you know, if you need to make sales, if you're behind, uh, put some orders in to, to get some sales made on any type of a rally off of that report. And I mean, don't forget that the world we're in today, the computers can trade it so much faster than I can download it and read it. You know, by the time I get it downloaded, read it, digested, the computers have probably traded it uh, several hundred times. Um, and they're, you know, they're just trained to go in and look for certain numbers and make the execute the trade based on that. And as that computer reads through the whole document, you know, it might change its mind multiple times, which is why we'll see these markets immediately shoot up 30, 40 cents. And within two or three minutes, maybe we're down 20 cents. So there's a lot of volatility in there. Um, don't wait until Thursday or Friday morning to buy options because they're going to increase in, in, in volatility and get more expensive. You know, spend tomorrow, get your plan made and, and get the orders in and execute them. It's a great way to wrap up the show. And Tyler, I know if folks have questions, they can reach out to you and the team there at agmarket.net by going online, take a look at your research and also sign up for your uh, conference in Nashville coming up here in a few weeks that uh, I know I'm looking forward to being at. And a lot of folks are looking forward to being at that as well. Yeah, well, I live in North Dakota, so I'm looking forward to get to Nashville too. Hopefully it's it's warmer than one degree by then. <laughs> well, uh, we definitely hope so. Again, find details at agmarket.net. Tyler Shaw, always appreciate a conversation. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Take care, Jesse. And that's all the time we have for Market Talk today. Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>